This is episode 40 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the founder of Active Life Rx, Dr. Sean Pastich. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another episode, a milestone episode, I guess you can say, number 40. Um, although every episode I get to do, I'm appreciative of it and uh, grateful you guys are here listening in. But really cool um, guest today and Dr. Sean Pastich. And I'm always appreciative of referrals and you know, kind of people that speak out about other people that are doing great things. And um, actually, uh, Dr. Sean got on my radar from Lindy Barber, you know, CrossFit Games champion. You guys may have listened in on episode 30. Um, if not, great interview with her. Um, so go check that out. But um, she had recommended that I reach out to uh, Dr. Sean. And I said, absolutely, man, this guy looks like he's doing some great stuff. And, um, you know, I'm so big around fitness and performance and, and how to improve each and every day. You know, I just actually hit a year into CrossFit full-time, um, and it's been unbelievable um, what I've done. I, I kind of call it my base layer uh, this first year in, just kind of really building up the stamina, building up my muscle capacity, understanding nutrition better, and now I'm ready to kind of crush it in year two. So uh, timely episode here uh, with Dr. Sean Pastich. Uh, by the way, his name is spelled S-E-A-N-P-A-S-T-U-C-H. Um, you can find him online on Instagram at Dr. Sean Pastich um, or at Active Life Rx on Instagram. ActiveLifeRx.com is their website as well. So go check all that out. But really awesome interview. This guy kind of brought it um, each and every question I gave him and um, gave a lot of depth, um, especially going toward the end. We were ready to wrap up and he came back firing with some more stuff and it, it kind of extended the interview, which was really cool. So always like those type of guests that kind of bring it each and every question and, and really give their all um, and definitely in tune with you know a lot of things he's been doing over his career, understanding athletes, um, how to make people perform, but also make people um, not get injured and come back from injuries a little bit better and, and look at a different way um, from that prognosis standpoint to be able to help them out and improve their, their overall life. Um, so really excited for you guys to listen in on this episode. Um, and without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Dr. Sean Pastich. Let's get it started. Sean, welcome to the podcast. A pleasure to have you on today. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I can go on about 20 different tangents here and, and different paths with you. I have so many questions to ask and get your opinion on, but let's level set and let's let's start from the beginning. You know, I'm always curious, especially folks that are around, you know, health and wellness and fitness and those type of things. I'm always curious how you got started with that. Um, was it something, you know, from your childhood or were you active a lot? Can you, can you start us way back then um, and kind of give us some some details of, you know, basically how life started in terms of from a fitness standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in a family where my father was a chiropractor, and then ultimately my uncle became a chiropractor, and my cousin became a chiropractor. So it was it was ubiquitous with our family was that people got into that space, and I was into sports, but I was small. I'm still small, you know, by by comparison to elite athletes. And when I got cut from the baseball team at University of Maryland, and when I was kind of like overlooked for stuff in high school that I felt like I was good enough to do, 
but got overlooked because of my size. I developed a little bit of a Napoleon complex. And that complex was satisfied best by figuring out how I could help other people to gain the strength and gain the explosiveness and all that kind of stuff that I struggled to do naturally and didn't have the guidance to do through training when I was younger. And, and that led me to, to personal training, which led me back to chiropractic when I found myself dissatisfied with the level of service that I could provide to a client of mine who frankly was, was outside the scope of a standard personal trainer. And, and that's something, so obviously you said you had some family that was, you know, from, from a chiropractor standpoint, when did you kind of realize that you wanted to do something above and beyond that in terms of personal training and, and getting into that kind of realm a little more than just the, the general chiropractor business? Well, it actually went the other way. So I, I wanted, you know, when you're, I, I'm fortunate to have grown up in a household where my, my father was successful. You know, my mother didn't work. She's very smart. She graduated from um, a combination of University of Pennsylvania and NYU in three years. And she didn't need to work. My father made all the money. So when you grow up in a house with, with that kind of stuff going on, you want to be able to replicate that and even amplify it for your family going forward. But you don't necessarily want to walk in daddy's shoes. You know what I mean? So I didn't graduate college thinking I'm going to go be a chiropractor. I did take all the prereqs in case that ever was something I wanted to do. But I got into fitness because I wanted to be able to afford people who had athletic ambitions the opportunity to pursue them in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. And I felt that learning about fitness and training would be the best way to do that. So I started off right out of college as a personal trainer, but found that I was having clients who I was unable to help on the level I would like to because of issues that they had physically that I believed if I went to chiropractic school, I'd be able to solve. So that's how the, that's how it all happened. And then full circle was I learned that as a chiropractor, I need to go back into the gym and help people in there. And it became blending those two worlds to bridge the gap between rehab and training. So what's is I, I you know you talk to depending on who you talk to, everyone has their their opinions on a chiropractor. You probably get this question a million times. Um, I didn't know I had the foggiest idea, you know, six months ago and anything before about a chiropractor or anything. I actually went to one over the last four months and just was blown away just by the, you know, I didn't realize my, you know, like I think my L4, L5 are actually fused together from birth. I didn't even realize that. And there was a variety of things and, and obviously my back feels so much better and learned about my hips and stuff. But can you kind of share just some for folks that are, are kind of in that world that they've never been to one, they don't understand. Maybe that's good to, to kind of give a little quick background there to help those folks out. So quick background is, is chiropractors as, as a profession aim to own the back pain and neck pain space. If you have back or neck pain, chiropractors aim to be your first option to get rid of it. So we go to school for, you know, three and a half years, similar to medical school. We take as many credits, if not more, I don't actually know the exact number of medical school, but I remember when we were in school, knowing that we were absolutely taking as much work as they were, um, more anatomy than they do with no pharma. You know, there were, there was no, nothing to do with medication. So, 
the license of a chiropractor varies state by state. In some states, they're they're you know birthing children. I don't necessarily believe that that's the most responsible use of the license, but it's that varied. And generally speaking, a chiropractor is going to put their hands on you and manipulate soft tissue and bony tissue to create better movement in your body, to enable your brain to increase proprioception peripherally, to innately, if you will, correct impairments by bringing the body's own awareness to them. Now, that comes with a lot of opportunity. It also comes with a lot of risk. The risk is I don't believe everything that a lot of chiropractors believe to be true. And I also believe a lot of things to be true that a lot of chiropractors don't. And there is no standard of care for chiropractors. So you could go to a great one. You could go to a terrible one. You could go to one who believes that adjustments and subluxations are the most important thing in the world. You could go to one who doesn't adjust at all. And, and inherently, quite frankly, that's the problem with chiropractic as a profession. And that's one of the reasons why I elected not to continue doing it full on. Because if, when you tell somebody I'm a chiropractor, they immediately assume spinal adjustments, ice or heat and stim. And I didn't do those things all the time. How did you get, um, I, you know, I'm curious. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm going on random tangents as I always do. How, how did you get involved with CrossFit? So I, when I realized that this is not the kind of thing I want to do for a living long-term, I decided a friend of mine actually told me, you should go check out this new gym. It opened up about a half hour from you and the people who run it are really smart. It's a CrossFit gym. I'm like, oh, I fucking hate CrossFit. Excuse me. I don't know if I can curse on your show. Uh, yeah, um, go ahead. But I'm like, I hate CrossFit. They do everything wrong. There's no technique. There's no control. It's all about just moving fast and whatever. Get it done. So I begrudgingly went. And um, I found that at the gym I was at, the things that I believed to be true about CrossFit were not. Now, I still think that those things are true in a lot of CrossFit gyms, unfortunately, but they were not at CrossFit Garden City where I went. And I asked, hey, I'd love to contribute to this community. Can I start treating patients out of here? They said, yes. So I started treating patients out of the gym. And I was like, wait, these people are paying me cash. They're doing everything I tell them to do. This is who I want to be treating. And I love CrossFit now doing it. And I've been a personal trainer already for four years, five years. Why don't I just open my own CrossFit gym with a clinic attached to it? So that's what we did. Can you share just a little insight, like opening the gym? Because obviously, you know, it's always interesting, you know, folks, a lot of people, right? They work for a company. They're kind of a number. They do their job. They come there. Going from, you know, I know you're a personal trainer, so you're kind of running your own business there, but actually opening a gym and all the things you went through. Can you share some of that experience, kind of maybe the self-talk that went through? Like, oh my God, am I actually going to open a gym? I'm just kind of curious. Take us back to that time. Yeah, it was the opposite. It was, it was kind of like, this is going to be so easy. All you got to do is get to this many members and you break even. And then after that, it's all profit. And of course, that's because I didn't have the first clue about what I was doing. But so you go into it with the naivety of, you know, of, of a total novice and you open a gym. I opened my clinic. I opened my gym. I, I took some investment capital from people who I never should have taken investment capital from. And we opened a gym. 
And five months later, our next door neighbor was suing us for making too much noise. And four days or five days after we won the lawsuit, Hurricane Sandy evicted us. So a lot of really good learning lessons from opening that gym. Um, obviously, that wasn't the end of it. You know, I opened another gym immediately after Hurricane Sandy to make sure that we still had something to do and another clinic. But there really wasn't much fear in it for me because I always believed that I could get people in the door. And that was that was true. I was always able to get people to come in. What's one thing you would have done differently? One thing? There's a lot <laughs> it of It could things. be five. I don't know. <laughs> um, the, the, the one big thing I would have done differently is I would have gotten really clear from the very beginning with myself on what problem my gym existed to solve, how we solved that problem, why we were going to be uniquely fit to solve it, and who had it. And then I only would have marketed to those people and I only would have sold them solutions that were going to work for them, as opposed to believing that I could help everybody in the world because I had this skill set. You know, that, well, I that, think that, that, that was a mistake. Yeah, I think that goes to, you know, and I, one of the things I was going to ask you on here, maybe as a good transition is just around, you know, obviously I know if I, if I read correctly, you were on the medical staff for CrossFit games, you know, obviously being around CrossFit athletes and stuff different than just the average person, right? What are, what are the CrossFit athletes, the, the top of the, the profession, if you will, what are they doing differently? What are they how are they keeping obviously in shape? How are they, is it is certain things are eating? Is there things you see totally different um, as a glaring difference that could help maybe the average person? Not that they can actually do all that, but at least take a few tips from them. Yeah. But I mean, full transparency, I was on CrossFit medical staff because I didn't want to buy a ticket. So I was like, Hey, if I volunteer for regionals, I'll get to go for free. So I volunteered. And then our, I got to go watch our gym's team compete at no charge. So, you know, that's the full transparency. And once I saw what was going on in the medical tent, I was like, forget this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go watch. This is not, this is not high level care. I thought this was going to be like the tip of the spear docs. I might learn something from them and I might be able to actually apply this stuff to real world when it was really just a lot of tape this, scrape that, massage this, ice that. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to tape anything. I don't want to scrape anything. I don't want to massage anybody. I'm not a massage therapist and I'm not into this. So I abandoned that. Um, but the thing, the thing that the top level CrossFit athletes are doing, because I have been fortunate now to work with over 40 people who've competed at the CrossFit games, including five champions of the CrossFit games is they treat their physical fitness, their competitive physical fitness, like a career. It's, it's not a hobby. It's not I work out to stay in shape for them. It is I work out to be a competitive level of fitness, and I will not tolerate anything less than that. On the flip side of that, clients that you work with day in and day out or, or other folks, again, I'll, I'll just use the word average, right? Just the average person, they work, they do whatever. What's kind of the biggest myth you're hearing out there today about it could be about nutrition. It could be about, again, fitness levels. I mean, who knows? You can take it where you want to go. But I'm curious what's out there right now that people are saying or maybe their excuses they're making. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest issue that most people face is, is the false narrative that they have with themselves. And, and that false narrative begins with the stories that we tell ourselves around why we have our condition and what that means about us. 
So we hear all the time from people, oh, I'm just getting old. You're not getting old. Look around. There's a lot of people your age who don't have your problems. So stop blaming your age for it. Oh, I have a herniated disc in my back and I'm just always going to have back problems. No, you're not. Look around. There's a lot of people with herniated discs who don't have back problems. The question is, why do you? And our job is really helping people understand that first and foremost, you're not broken. So you don't need to be fixed. You're working inefficiently. And as soon as we are able to help you gain some efficiency, your pain, your discomfort, your frustration, your false narratives, they're all going to go away. So the first thing that we do with people is actually work with them on the communication that they have with themselves. That happens before the first assessment, the first rep. How important is mindset or or kind of changing the tune of, hey, they've been neglecting fitness for a while. <laughs> now they're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. How important do you work on mindset and kind of getting the right clear path with them? Obviously different from just the, the normal course of, of fitness and health. It's, it's 90% of what we do. So, you know, we, it doesn't show up as 90%. It shows up as a blip on the radar. But when we have our staff meetings, when we have our interstaff communications, it's all around mindset. I mean, we do in-services about how to work with somebody who has the following conditions and is working with a physical therapist, how to, how to deal with the client who comes to you with this history and doesn't want to go see a physical therapist. So all of that kind of stuff, we, we do in service about all that kind of stuff. So our staff is well-versed on it. The biggest thing that we spend our time on is how to communicate with yourself, how to communicate with your clients and how to sculpt the kind of mindset that makes you the kind of person who can help the person you're working with by default. And to be able to lead that person to new habits, to new thought patterns, to new conversations that make them the kind of person who would never need us in the first place. Can you share, so if you can go into a little bit, I'm, I'm curious now to talk about a little bit about, about active life and some of the things you guys are doing. One, just a, a quick, maybe 15, 30 seconds for the folks that aren't familiar with that and what you're doing. And then really the vision, what, what's your vision or what was it going into starting the business? Um, and, and have you accomplished that so far? Or are you still on the path? Where, where are you kind of adding that vision or um, kind of mindset to, to grow it? Yeah. So the 15 second speech about what active life is, is we are the only company in the world helping thousands of people to get out of pain without going to a doctor and without missing the gym. We educate coaches, trainers, and doctors to get those same results for their clients and patients. That's what we do. Our ambition is that between the year, between May of 2022 and May of 2023, we will have served 1.2 million people to get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym directly or indirectly. Meaning it will either be us as Active Life HQ staff or it will be people who we've educated to help people with our methodologies. And the reason why we chose 1.2 million people and why we chose that span is that would be our five-year anniversary as a company. And 1.2 million people represents 50.1% of the population who are in our target market. 
which means that we would be the preferred resource for musculoskeletal healthcare worldwide. And what have you learned as, as starting the business and kind of being in the thick of it now that you you wish you knew when you started? Is there anything like you're like, oh my gosh, that was you know, that was a huge hurdle. I didn't even realize I'd had to jump that. Yeah, the biggest thing that I've learned is maximize what you have before you expand on what you offer. So we, we've rolled out a ton of programs that failed. And that, that's great. I don't regret it at all. Because now we know those programs either were marketed ineffectively or were built for a market that, that doesn't exist. Not, not in a large enough fashion, at least. But the biggest lesson that we've learned is when you cut those things and you go back to doing the core things that you do well, there's so much meat left on the bone that you can eat forever. So maximize the value there and it will create need. And then you can service that need as opposed to creating supply and then hoping for demand, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. No, yeah. And, and I'm curious too on that is, um, well, I, and it kind of goes along with what you mentioned even prior, um, you know, from a goal setting standpoint with the business going into it. You mentioned kind of some of these, you know, things you guys are trying to do. Um, for your five-year anniversary and those type of things. H how do you go about setting those goals? Do you work with the team? Is it, do you have daily goals? Do you guys kind of walk through uh, on, a, on a monthly and year? Like how, how do you go through and structure those um, so you guys are all kind of rolling in the right direction? We, we don't structure them from a corporate perspective. And what I mean by that is my job for the company is vision. It's my job to say, this is where we're going and this is how I think we can get there. Then I have a business partner named Kaylin, who lives in Idaho, which is the other side of the country from me, who manages all of our backend stuff. And it's Kaylin's job to say, you're out of your fucking mind, or you're out of your fucking mind and I like it. So the, the first part always happens. I'm always out of my mind. And that's okay, because I don't want to think realistically. That's boring. So it's, it's, it's my job to figure out this is what I'd like us to be able to achieve. Here's an opportunity that I think exists. Here's a problem that I think we can solve. Here's how I think we can best do it. Absent understanding how the mechanics of that actually happen. I don't know how many emails that takes. I don't know how many web pages that takes. I don't know what kind of technology that requires. I just know if we can figure out the solution to this problem, we can be extremely valuable to a lot of people and have a ton of impact. Then I bring it to my staff and say, how long would it take for us to do this? Then they say, six months. And I say, cool, tell me why, and explain to me why every step of that process can't be done in a day. Not, not, not why it's not realistic. I understand it's not realistic. Tell me from a perspective of physics, why that can't be done in a single day. And usually what happens is, they explained to me things like it would be really difficult because we would need to do this, 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 and this. It would be expensive and it would take a lot of man time. I'm like, cool. Let's pay for it and structure the man time so we don't have to wait six months for something that theoretically we could have in a week. And that's, that's how we do things faster than everybody else. Yeah, I like that approach to it where you don't just kind of take it at face value. Like, oh, that's what we're doing six months is you kind of really pry 
um, pry and peel back the onion there. And how does that work with, you know, with your business partner in terms of the communication and, you know, the type of trust you guys have to be able to maybe battle over some ideas as well. But, you know, sometimes partnerships go sour. So I'm always curious if things are going well, how, how do you guys, you know, keep the communication levels up? Yeah, I've, I've personally railroaded three partnerships. You know, I, I know exactly how to make a partnership go sour. It's, it's not, it's not representing your vision effectively to your partner and making sure that your partner shares that vision with you and is willing to do the things necessary to achieve it. So I did that three times. I didn't tell my partners where I wanted the business to go or what I was willing to do to achieve that. So when I did the things necessary to push the other businesses that I was in towards where I wanted them to go, it ostracized my partner from me in all cases. So it, was, it wasn't about me, but it was always my fault that our partnerships broke down. And I'm saying that not from their perspective, from my perspective. I could have been a better communicator. With the partner I have now, I've been with him since 2013 in one business or another. And our communication works in such a way where um, I will tell him what I want and he will tell me what it will take to get that done. And then together we decide if we believe that that's worth it. It's essentially deeming what is the real, what's the lever that we should be pulling that requires the least amount of work and can gain us the maximum amount of impact. That's always the lever that we want to pull. How did you come to the realization you need to be a better communicator that sometimes self-awareness is hard for folks? Um, I, I, I'm curious of, of how you kind of had that epiphany. It wasn't really an epiphany. It was, um, it was taking an honest look at myself and saying, I'm not, you know, at the time I'm like, I'm 30 years old, 31 years old. I'm making like $30,000 a year, something around there. I'm a doctor. I'm a personal trainer. I own a gym. I own a clinic. I've made a hundred thousand dollars in a year as a personal trainer. You know, I've had that kind of a run rate. I never did it for a full year because I, I got out of it and got into school, but I, I had a hundred thousand dollar a year run rate. I'm like, what happened? How did you end up here? And a big part of my revelation, if you will, was responsibility to my wife and to my family because she was pregnant and she was going to have a baby. And the the weight of working 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. not being realistic was starting to really become clear. I had to be dad. I had to be the husband. It wasn't fair anymore for me to work those kinds of hours and not net any results. So it's it's the idea of, I've seen the quote recently that busy is the new stupid, and I was the busiest guy in the world. But I didn't want to be. So I hired a coach for more money than I could afford to hire a coach. And he basically came in day one and said, you don't know what you want. That's why you don't have it. And if you want to be more successful, you have to be a better person. And I was like, what, what does any of that mean? And that was the start of it. 
with that, obviously that reflection and, and, you know, obviously changing, you're having a baby, family's growing, you got a lot of stuff in your plate. Do you, is, and maybe this is something you're doing now, but are there any like daily habits um, that you have to, you know, kind of keep attuned to or routines that you go through to stay focused? Anything in particular that you can share that's working well for you? Yeah. So I have a morning routine that is extremely realistic and it allows me to start my day on offense as opposed to starting my day on defense, checking emails, checking for text messages, checking my Instagram, my LinkedIn, my Facebook, that's defense. So my morning routine is I wake up, I have a 14 ounce cup. I didn't choose 14. That's how big my cups are. It's not like it's a magic number. A full glass of water that I made the night before with a little bit of Himalayan sea salt in it. I then grab my journal and I write in my journal one thing that I appreciate from the day before and one thing that I'm excited about for today. Then I go to the bathroom. If I didn't have to go prior to those two other things, brush my teeth, and then I start my day. And that's it. Like that, that allows me to get out in front of things. It allows me to, to, to internalize that I'm important enough that I don't have to look at other people's problems before I start creating my own solutions every day. Because email, text, Facebook, Instagram, alerts on your phone, those are other people's problems waiting for you to solve them. And I've made it a really, really conscious effort to not do that. So I wake up, I do those, those I mean, my whole morning routine takes eight minutes, tops. You know, the whole idea of like a 30 minute hour and a half long morning routine is crazy to me. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Not that I can't. Um, then I, I exercise at least four days a week in some way, shape or form. It's not like it used to be. I'm not killing it in the gym anymore. I don't, it's not important enough. I do not check my email until 11 a.m. And all of my phone calls for the day, every contact that I have is scheduled. It's on my calendar. It's scheduled through my assistant. If I'm supposed to meet you for lunch, it's on my calendar. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be at the time I'm supposed to be there. If you call me during the day and you're not on my schedule, I'm not going to answer because I'm not going to be able to be present with you on the call. And it's not my responsibility to manipulate my day to accommodate for your convenient emergency. So if you're on my schedule, I'm totally present for you. If you're not, I'm not there at all. And that includes my father and my mother scheduling lunch with me. It goes through my assistant. If my wife wants to get on a call with me, it goes through my assistant. Now, that doesn't mean that if something is wrong, she can't call and I won't answer. But I'm not picking up the first call. She needs to call twice and she knows that. I have a few questions on the on the routines. I'm just I'm more just my I'm a curious guy. Why the uh, Himalayan sea salt? Is that just for a taste, or does that actually have something in there that does something above and beyond that I've never thought of? Um, if I'm being really honest with you, I've just heard smart people say they do it, so I said I might as well try that too. Okay, <laughs> that's, good. that's a good that's a good answer. Then, what about the you know? I obviously, talk with a lot of folks that do some some type of journaling. When you write down each day, do you go back at all? Do you set some time to go back and reflect 
on prior days or weeks or month? No, not at all. But I also wrote a book and didn't proofread it. I never went back and checked a single page. Um, I sent it to an editor for her to do it. But when I take tests in school, when I took tests in school, I've never gone back and checked my answers. I've never gone back and reread my essays. I just, no, I don't have time for that. (laughs) I think I've, I mean, I feel like it's not meant to do that. That's not the purpose of the journal. You know, for me, it's, I know, like I had, I had one of my staff who I mentor a lot last night and he, we, we were going to get him a new car and he was on the ride. He was like, how do you know? Like, what do you do when you have days where you just feel like you've lost? Like if you ever lost two days in a row, he asked me, I said, yeah, for sure. I've lost two days in a row. And like, how do you, like, what do you do about it? How do you know? And I explained to him, I just had a newborn a few months, a few weeks ago. And I've, I've lost a lot more recently than I ever lost before because and when I say lost, I mean, I didn't accomplish in a day what I set out to accomplish in a day. And that happens because I have the best plans, but I'm tired because I'm not sleeping the way I'm used to sleeping. Um, I'm lower energy because I'm not sleeping. I'm not working out as much as I want to, you know, there's other stuff on my mind. And when I wake up in the morning, if it's difficult for me to reflect on the previous day about something that I'm appreciative of, then I know I need to figure out how to have better days. That's what it's really for. You know, you said something there. I'm curious. I want to underscore for a second. Can you chat about sleep for just a minute in your perspective? Because I'm massive on sleep. I think it's, you know, if I don't get my seven hours plus of, of, you know, I don't feel like I have the performance. Um, Is that, where do you fall on the the sleep? Obviously with a newborn, you're probably not getting a ton, right? Um, How important is that for not only just athletes, but just anyone in general that are trying to improve their, their health and wellness? It's huge. I mean, the, the way I've heard it best described is if you, if you think of your body as a car, like a, like a NASCAR car, it takes eight hours, allegedly, for the mechanics to fix all of the problems that happen while you're driving it around the track. And if you wake up early from your slumber, if you don't sleep well, Right. If the phone is ringing while they're trying to do things and they're, they're answering the phone. If so, if your sleep quality is poor, you can still drive the car, but it's not going to drive the way it's supposed to. (laughs) So that's the easiest way for me to explain the value of sleep. And it's not mine. I got it from somebody else. I'm not a sleep expert, but what I can tell you is that when I sleep eight hours, three nights in a row, I'm on fire. When I go to when I go do workshops, when I go give talks, if I'm giving a talk on a Saturday, I get in town on Thursday to make sure that I can sleep eight hours Thursday night and eight hours Friday night before I talk on Saturday. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that and you, I think that's that's also a testament to knowing your body and knowing how you work and and how you need to perform uh, to be at your best. So, um, with that, you know, I guess a little bit more on that even. You know, from a learning standpoint, what do you do to continue learning? Or and it might not just be in, in kind of the world that you live in. It could be in some random stuff you like to, you know, like to read. Um, is there anything? Do you like to read books? Is it podcasts? Is there anything you'd recommend to individuals uh, to go out and check out some things that are important to you? 
Yeah, I recommend that people um, hold space for themselves and learn the way that you enjoy learning best without judging yourself for not learning the way that other people tell you you're supposed to. So what I mean by that is I read books, but I don't read books very often because it takes too long. I'd rather, um, I'd rather listen to a book on tape when I'm driving, when I'm out on a jog or going for a walk. And if I hear something that I think is really valuable, I'll go back and re-listen to it and take notes. Um, I watch YouTube videos. I listen to podcasts. I have an Instagram account that only has people on it I want to learn from. It's, it's constant learning. I don't watch a TV show that I don't learn something from. I mean, I, I take that back. I do, but I don't enjoy it. Not the show. I enjoy that I'm sitting with my wife and we're just vegging. Um, but you know, like I'm not into I'm not into any of that stuff. Like when I listen to podcasts, it's not murder mysteries and stuff like that. Nothing against them. I just I'm not getting any value from it. I want to I want to improve every second that I'm living. So where can everyone uh, find you online? Where can, they, where can they check you out, follow you, et cetera? Well, we have our own podcast, the Active Life Podcast. Um, Instagram, everywhere in the world. I mean, just type Active Life RX into Instagram, into YouTube, into Google, and you're going to find all of our channels. And I'm on Instagram myself as Sean Pestich, Dr. Sean Pestich. Yeah, and I'll, I'll link all this up in the uh, show notes for everyone to be able to kind of check you out and definitely check out your podcast um, and some other stuff. So as I always like to kind of wrap up here is, you know, really a lasting impression on the, on the audience from you. It could be a quote. Um, it could be some words of advice, something you've picked up along the way. I'll kind of give you an open floor here um, to, to share something or multiple things that you want. Uh, maybe some things that for people to actually get out there and start doing things a little bit different, maybe to motivate them, um, inspire them to be different. Um, anything you'd share with the group? There's a, a lot I would share with the group. I think that the, the thing that, that I've said that seems to have resonated with my audience best is if you want to be world-class at anything, you have to be prepared to be unrelatable. And what I mean by that is most people are not world-class. That means that those people cannot relate to the things that you're willing to do to be world-class if that's your goal. <clears throat> you know, they, they don't understand why you don't want to go out and party at night. They don't understand why you don't want to watch Netflix for four hours. They don't know why you dropped out of the fantasy football league. They can't understand why you don't care about your favorite football, baseball, basketball, hockey team anymore. And that's okay. They don't want to be world-class. So if you do, you have to be prepared to be unrelatable day-to-day -to, -day to the people who you used to call your best, closest friends who knew you better than anybody else. And if you're still somebody who is extremely relatable, who is enjoying immensely the time that you spend with people who have smaller ambition than you do, then what you need to understand 
is that it's likely that you like the idea of big ambition more than pursuit of big ambition. And that's fine. But if you really want to do something big, you have to surround yourself with people who wouldn't tolerate being around people who don't want to do something big. That's, that's everything. So you asked how I learned. I've, I've paid last year, uh, between my partner and I, we paid almost $100,000 in mentorship and professional development to coaches. Um, you know, it's people ask, you've heard the expression all the time, surround yourself with the people who you want to be like. And commonly people will say, well, how am I going to do that? I live in rural wherever. YouTube, podcasts, social media, events. If, if you have the choice to go spend time with somebody who relates or excuse me, with somebody who doesn't relate to you and is going to call you crazy and call you foolish and call you stupid and say you're unrealistic and all that negative shit, you're better off saying, no, nah, I'm going to stay home and watch YouTube videos of people who are going to pull me up. That, that's what it takes. You don't have to be physically in the room having conversation back and forth with somebody like that. Allow them to influence you from a distance. Man, I love the rawness there. That was uh, <laughs> that was some really good advice and some good insight there. I love that quote there. You know, if you want to be world class, you, you have to be unrelatable. That's awesome. Well, um, it's not that you have to be. You have to prepare to be. You have to be. You have to be ready to have other people not understand you. That's fabulous. Um, this has been awesome. I, I I know we we took a lot of twists and turns throughout the uh, the time we had today, but it was fun. I was glad to get to know you a little bit more. Have you share with the audience some of the things you guys are doing and. And obviously get your perspective on a lot of things. So thanks so much for taking some time out today and, uh, and chatting. It's my pleasure, Brian. And I, and I want, I'd love to add, I love the name of your, your podcast, the just get started podcast, because there's so many people out there who I think are like, Oh, I'll get started when I I'll start when I'll start after. And it's always this, this bridge that never gets crossed. You know, I need more experience to do this thing. I need more influence to do this thing. I need to get to 50,000 Instagram followers before I can, and it's all bullshit. You just need to start and then start again tomorrow and keep going until everybody else who started with you has stopped and now you're the only person left doing it. So I love the name of your show. No, thank you very much. Yeah, and it, it kind of was born out of that idea of, you know, I wanted to start a podcast for many years and I kind of the starts and stops. And I, I kind of tell this story a little bit like I went to a, a conference um, and you know, the guy there who was doing some podcasts. I was like, oh man, I'm going to start one. I've been wanting to start one. Well, I saw him a year later at the same conference, hadn't started yet. Then I saw him a year later at the same conference. And, I, and then it finally said, I'm starting one. I end up starting it, you know, a couple months after that. So it's just one of those things. Sometimes you got to kick your butt, you know, sit, kick yourself in the butt and, and just get going on. And, that, and that's kind of where just get started, got born out of. So I appreciate well, you do, saying that. Do, do, you mind, do you mind if I add something to that? Do we have a minute? No, please. Absolutely. So I was mentoring my, my staff today. I do, we do staff mentorship calls. And one of the things that I was explaining to them is goal setting. And your goal in that first conference would have been, I want to start a podcast. That's my goal, right? And I'm not going to get into goal setting and, and how to make them specific and, and timely and all that stuff right now, because it's not the show for that. But the mistake that people make along the way, the biggest mistake, in my opinion, that people make along the way in trying to achieve a goal is they don't anticipate the obstacles. 
So when the obstacles come up, they feel insurmountable. And if you can think about something that you want to achieve between now and let's just say December 31st of 2019, and you can commit to doing it by that date, when you start working towards it, you can bet your ass that something is going to happen that is going to make it more difficult to achieve your goal than you thought it was going to be. And if you didn't expect that, you can view that as your sign, quote, to quit. I'm doing the wrong thing. I, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And I just thought that was a good sign to bow out. Or you can anticipate those obstacles coming up, the doors slamming in your face, the people telling you that you're not going to achieve your goal, the money running out of your bank account, all of the negative things that come along the way of trying to achieve something that most people don't have the balls to think about. And then when they happen, they're way less scary and you've already thought about how to go around them. So the take-home message there is if you aren't getting started because you're afraid that you won't finish, start making friends with those worst case scenarios that you so desperately fear and figure out how you would overcome them before they get in your face. And then you'll have much more confidence to start. That's well said. That's that's really solid. I appreciate you saying that, man. This has been fun. This is this is awesome. I'm so glad uh, I was able to get you on here and, and chat for a little bit. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. And one more quick thing before you head off on your day, if you don't mind, head over to iTunes, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. I certainly appreciate the feedback. It only is going to make this podcast better each and every episode. As always, you guys can find me online, uh, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O, as well as on Instagram or Twitter, at Brian Andreco. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Just get started.